Last week, the Advent season began this celebration of the incarnation of Christ, that is, his human nature, conceived in a womb and made flesh, Emmanuel, as we just sang, God with us. Pastor Joe started uh, this series, this Advent season, by talking about the origin, the creation of the world, and in the creation, we see God was the initiator. We see that it was planned, it was orchestrated, it was intentional, this process that God unfolded in creation, and Pastor Joe shared that it was good. It was good. Problematic, however, was the arrival of evil. We know that evil is attractive. We know that the, uh, the schemes of our enemy are enticing, and we get tripped and trapped, and humanity made a choice that would eventually result in Jesus putting on human skin as a baby, the same skin that would years later be beaten and whipped and torn and pierced for our transgressions, our sin. But the birth of Jesus was not the beginning. The birth of Jesus was planned from the beginning. The birth of Jesus was God's plan A, and there was never a plan B. There was never an instance throughout history where if man did something differently, that God would uproot his plan of Christ. Christ has been plan A with no plan B since the beginning. So in this series and in this Advent season, we're looking at historical accounts that play a significant role in Christmas. Some of you may, at this point in your life, have pierced together, put together your uh, family tree pieced together your tree, looked into history. Genealogy is a journey of many lifetimes woven together from the past that often gives answers here in the present and sometimes inspires the future. The very first verse of the New Testament, Matthew chapter 1, verse 1, we see something about the genealogy, the ancestry of Jesus Christ, a record of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. So Abraham's got something to do with it. Christ is the son of Abraham, which makes sense because Abraham had many sons. And many sons had Father Abraham. I'm one of them and so are you. So here we are together. Let's all praise the Lord. Right arm, right? But... The story of Abraham's recorded in Genesis chapters 12 through 25. We know that Abraham stepped out in faith. We know that Abraham, uh, once Abram, made many, countless really, wrong decisions, bad choices. We know that God called Abraham to many sacrifices, and we know that God compensated Abraham's sacrifice with many promises. Specifically, promises we see in Scripture. <clears throat> I'll make you a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great. You will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. I will curse those who curse you. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. I know there are many talented people in the sanctuary today, but few probably share that resume. This was an impressive person with a great story. And we see his story unfold on the pages of Scripture. In Genesis chapter 13, we see God mentioning Abraham's offspring multiple times. 
But by Genesis 16, a few verses later, we see Abraham, who was still Abram at that time, 86 years old with no children. If God told you you would have children and you're 86 with no children, you probably get a little concerned. How many of you guys would admit that sometimes God's timing seems a little slow? Anybody else? Just me. Great. How many of you have been in a situation or scenario in life, relationships, vocation, health, whatever it may be, and you've prayed for a certain thing to be done by God, and when you've seen the results or lack thereof, you start thinking, I I think I'm just going to take matters into my own hands. How many of you, you've never prayed this prayer, but you've thought it? Lord, you just sit this one out. I got this. I got news for you. If you've never prayed that prayer, but you've thought it, God knows your thoughts. So maybe back off of that philosophy, and let's admit that sometimes when God's timing is different than ours, it makes us impatient. And so Abraham and Sarah, they take matters into their own hands. Abraham sleeps with a servant, Hagar, and this is questionable. This decision is questionable in our own system of ethics today. But listen to Ronald Youngblood's thoughts on this issue and his commentary on Genesis. It was a legally authorized custom, he says, of that time for a man who had no son to take measures that would ensure the orderly disposition of his inheritance when he died. He could adopt a son, as Abram had apparently already done. We see that in Genesis chapter 15. He loved his son Ishmael. Or he could produce a son by cohabiting with one of the servant girls in the household. And then if a son were born as a result of cohabitation, those inheritance rights of that adopted son would not supersede the rights of any previously adopted son. In a polygamous society where men commonly had a wife and one or more concubines, sleeping with a servant girl was not nearly so strange or nearly so shocking as it might seem to us today. Now, I'm not suggesting that we just cut them slack here, right? And I'm not suggesting that we take matters into our own hands when God's timing seems off. So regardless if this man should have taken this one-night pass with his servant girl, she was with child. She became pregnant. When God's timing doesn't line up with ours, we implement our own plans and trouble quickly follows. I was sitting in a men's group, one of our men's groups at this church on Thursday morning of last week at 6.30, and Trent Gudgel is walking us through a discussion on the ability of God. And while he's teaching on this curriculum and we're processing scripture and we're evaluating our own lives, I just wrote down a sentence in my study guide, and this is what I wrote down. And this could be true for just me and no one else, but let's see. My desire for control, stop. Let's just all get honest, okay? Let's, uh, let's all get honest. Just lift your hands slowly if you desire control. Come on, let's just admit it. <laughs> okay, let's go on. Your desire for control, despite my faith, despite your faith in God, is arrogant. It's arrogance. And it inevitably leads to impatience and fear. 
I have faith in God that's not questionable. My faith in God is not questionable. My desire for control gets out of hand, and despite my faith, I, can, I want to control things in my life, and when things in my life are not going the way that I want and I can't control it, it's arrogance. It leads to impatience. It leads to praying the word why. Why God? Why God? And it makes me fearful because when I can't control it and it's not the way I want it, I become afraid, afraid of the future, afraid of how that situation might unfold. So this is what's happened in their life, in their story. His servant girl is with child. Fast forward to Genesis chapter 17. Abraham's 99 years old and his wife is still not with child. So surely he's thinking when he took matters into his own hands, he did the right thing, right? God, I handled that. You could sit that one out. I took care of it. But to summarize chapter 17, God says, be circumcised, which when you're 99 years old, I'm not sure if that's something you're interested in. And then he says, within a year, Sarah's going to have a son, the son of promise, right? The son I promised you long ago. <clears throat> and to summarize, he's told to name him Isaac. So Isaac, the son of promise, the son of Abraham, the son that Abraham had waited for and longed for, has arrived. Skip a few years and Genesis chapter 22 happens. A chapter that many of you are familiar with, but let's look at it today through the lens of Christmas. How did this story that unfolds before us in scripture land us here celebrating the birth of Jesus Christ? Genesis chapter 22 verse one. Sometime later, God tested Abraham. He said, Abraham, here am I, he replied. Then God said, take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, go to the region of Moriah, sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains that I'll tell you about. Early the next morning, Abraham got up and he saddled his donkey. He took with him two of his servants and his son Isaac and when he had cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out for the place that God told him about. And on the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. Obedience to God's request is the fabric of this chapter. Abraham's faith was put on the line. Old Testament scholar Derek Kidner puts it this way, Abraham's trust in God was weighed in the balance against common sense, against human affection and lifelong ambition. It was an act against everything earthly. Let me share that again. Abraham's trust in God was weighed in the balance against common sense, human affection, and lifelong ambition. An act against everything earthly. And thousands of years later, we are here reading this story, talking about what happened, but the words, the request of God on this man, this man, those requests still make us cringe today. It's unthinkable. But notice it says early the next morning. How many times has God made a request on your life 
and it had nothing to do with sacrificing your child, but you put it off. You delayed for whatever reason, lack of interest, fear, uncertainty. I just can't get around to it. I'm too busy. God's request is unbearable, and we delay. This request is unthinkable, and it says early the next morning, Abraham got up and saddled his donkey and cut firewood. He immediately responded in obedience. This morning is a morning that I would like to hit snooze. I would like to hit snooze forever, but at least 20 years. Lord, please, surely as I slept throughout the night, you changed your mind, right, God? Surely not me, surely not my son. This is nuts. Give me more time with my child. Lord, consider a different way. I just think in this three-day trek to the mountain, I think of Abraham's interactions with his son. I think about their time at night at camp. The fire's made, they're eating dinner, and Isaac walks up and sits next to his dad. Does his dad wrap his arms around him, thinking, I have no idea what's going to take place in the next few days, but I trust God, but I'm scared? Or does he avoid eye contact altogether with his child? Can't even bear to look at him. Needless to say, I think every single step of that journey was painful. So they arrive. Verse 5, he says to his servants, Stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. We're going to worship, and then we will come back. We'll come back to you. Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering. He placed it on his son Isaac, and he, he himself carried the fire and the knife. And as the two of them went on together, Isaac spoke up and said to his father Abraham, Dad, yes, son, fire and the wood, I, I see it, it's here. Where's the lamb? Where's the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham's stomach hits the floor, but he says, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And the two of them went on together. Verse 9, they reached this place that God had told them about, and Abraham built an altar there and arranged the wood on it, and he bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. And then he reached out his hand and he took the knife to slay his son. God asks his people to completely trust, doesn't he? To completely surrender all possessions. And what we never want to acknowledge is that this includes the possession of life itself. This story seems unbearable to me as a father of four. I don't like to see my children suffer at all. Ellie had a loose tooth recently. Makes me sick to see it. My wife, every couple of hours, tries to talk her into letting her pull it. Let me tie a string to it, tie the other end of the string to a doorknob, violently kick the doorknob, or here, chew aggressively on this apple. All the while, maybe bad parenting, I'm going behind my wife's back, getting on my knee, face to face with my sweet little girl and whispering, just let the tooth come out when it's time. 
You don't have to tie any strings to any doorknobs. It's going to be okay. I don't want to see my kids suffer. I went hunting two weeks ago and shot a deer, and I can't take a splinter out of my child's hand. I don't want to see my kids suffer. Instinctively, as a parent, anytime your kid goes through anything, even a splinter, guys, instinctively, we want to trade places with them, don't we? We want to get into that situation and not fix it for our kid. We want to trade places with our kid. We want to be a substitute for our son or our daughter's pain, their agony, their fear, their sadness, their uncertainty. No matter what a child goes through, a parent wants to be a substitute. However, Abraham marches forward in the command given to him, and Isaac carried the wood. Isaac carried the wood. In other words, Isaac carried the wood. See, we like to picture this as a grown man walking this infant child to the top of a mountain. The child has no idea what's going on, right? It's just a little baby, and Abraham's got a little butter knife and a box of matches, and that's how this story plays in our thinking, right? That's not how this went. Isaac carried the wood. Scholars believe that he was a strong teenager. He carried the wood up the mountain himself. And we don't know exactly how this story played out, but it was gruesome. This grown man tying down his teenage son, taking the knife in his hands, going to slit his throat and light him on fire as a sacrifice unto the Lord. This is not cute. We have to acknowledge, no matter how this played out, that a teenager is capable of refusing or resisting this situation, but yet he's on the altar. So we must applaud both of these men for their faith. Look with me again at verse 5, and this, this is spectacular. We will worship, and then we will come back to you. We Abraham says to the servants, I'm going over there with my son. We together are going to worship, and we together are going to come back. So we, Abraham, we see fully intended on walking back down the mountain with his son. He knew that the death of Isaac would have contradicted every promise that God had made with him, and so his willingness to perform this act, the ultimate unthinkable sacrifice to the point of killing his child is one of the most strikingly dramatic examples of faith in all of history. To more fully recognize Abraham's trust in God's ability, look at Hebrews chapter 11, verses 17 through 19. By faith, Abraham, when God tested him, he offered, see there we see it, he offered, he spiritually, emotionally, mentally, psychologically, in every way was prepared. He offered Isaac as a sacrifice he who had embraced the promises was about to sacrifice his one and only son. Even though God had said to him, it's through Isaac, you need this boy. It's through him that your offspring will be reckoned. Next verse, Abraham reasoned that God could even raise the dead. He could do it. He was able 
And he did so, and so in a manner of speaking, he did receive Isaac back from the death. He was prepared to see his son die. This passage is the theme of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we don't know this for sure, but I wonder if it's possible that God who was willing to sacrifice his one and only son, Jesus Christ, for you and me, that God wanted his son, Jesus Christ, to come from a family tree of a man that would be willing to do the same. That God chose Abraham knowing that he was willing to go to that same extent to see the promises of God unfold throughout humanity. And the story turns in verse 11. But the angel of the Lord, how beautiful are those words to a father. The angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham, here I am. He replied, don't lay a hand on the boy. Don't do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God because you've not withheld from me your son, your only son. Abraham looked up. And there in the thicket he saw a ram caught by its horns, and he went over and he took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called that place, the Lord will provide, and to this day it said, on the mountain of the Lord it will be provided. The angel of the Lord called to Abraham from heaven a second time and said, I swear by myself, declares the Lord, that because you have done this, because you have done this, because you have done this, and you've not withheld your son, your only son, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as the sand on the seashore. Your descendants, they'll take possession of the equities of their enemies. Here comes the promises. Here comes the promises. And through your offspring, all nations on earth will be blessed because you've obeyed me because you've obeyed me, because you obeyed, Abraham's obedience unleashed God's blessing. His obedience unleashed God's blessing, resulting in an extraordinary family tree. Isaac, Jacob, Judah, Jesse, David, Solomon, Hezekiah, Joseph, Jesus. I want to take a minute as we close. And I want to reflect on what was happening in Abraham on the mountain. Because I think we often think this story, we pick something in the story and we make it all about that something. But what was going through this man's mind? What was going through his heart? What was going through his body and his emotions? What was happening? And we think think Abraham was this extraordinary man. Let me tell you something. His love for his child was no different than your love for your child. This request probably appalled him just like it would you. But let me just share a few things that I think were happening in this man as this story unfolded. Mere speculation let me preface, mere speculation. Abraham must have been full of grief. Must have been. I imagine that he avoided eye contact with Isaac. I don't know how, I don't know how he could have looked into his beautiful brown eyes 
I think as the story unfolded, he probably pondered, are there any words? Are there any words that I can say to my son that might help? Any words that I can say to explain why daddy's about to do this? Anything I can help him walk into this with me? And maybe he decided, no, there's no words. There's no words that can help. I think he had to have been a little angry. I think surely he silently whispered from deep in his soul, why? Why, Lord? Why us? Why my son? Why my precious child? And I think his thoughts were flooded with vivid memories of his son's childhood, vivid memories of the day Isaac was born. He heard his first cry. Vivid memories of when Isaac was born and he committed in his heart to make every sacrifice for this child, not to sacrifice this child. And I bet he was nervous. I bet this stressful condition released abnormal levels of adrenaline throughout his body. I think it was probably hard for him to breathe. I suspect his heart was wildly thumping inside of his chest. I bet his nervous system made his forehead drip of sweat. I doubt he could swallow. And I know his legs were probably weak. And then he took the knife in his hand, and that's when it felt more real than ever before, and he got nauseous. He prepared to strike his son, and right there the angel spoke. And right then and there, in those two words, Abraham, stop. Stop. Right there, trust was born. He had faith in God's ability, but right there, trust was born. In this Advent season, for you and me and all of us, I know there are people here, and you're going through something, you're waiting on God, you've prayed a prayer, and you're, you're asking God to come through, and, and his timing seems off. The timing has you frustrated. Maybe you're waiting on a miracle. And if you were honest, you would say, yes, God's plan seems foggy. Might be your marriage. Could be your children, other loved ones. Maybe it's your career your finances, your health, your future, all of life's uncertainties that maybe are robbing you of sleep every single night. Friends, I don't know what it is. Maybe you're depressed. Maybe you think life is just too hard for me right now. Maybe you have grief, unimaginable grief, fear, anxiety. Maybe you just have doubts. And I want to tell you, But the invitation today from Scripture and the way we've seen trust born throughout history in many people's lives, the invitation to us today is to cry out to God, Lord, deposit the embryo of trust in my spirit today. If you bow your heads, that's what we want to allow you to do for the next few moments. To cry out to God in whatever way you wish, about whatever thing is going on in your life, any challenge, any prayer you're praying, any hope you have, any longing, 
that you have, that God would deposit the trust into your heart today that would not only be conceived, but trust and faith would be born in a new way in your life like never before. Go ahead and pray.